Well, good morning again, and if you've got your Bibles, please let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We had a look at verses 9 through to about 18 last week, and we spoke about the role of women in church. And I told you ladies that uh, don't feel that we're gunning for you last week, because we're going to gun for the men this week, and that's what we're going to do. So men, if you were invited to church, you don't normally come, but you're invited by your wife to come to church. This is why. Um, she knew it was going to be for you this week, and so uh, welcome. Great to have you uh, here with us. Uh, Timothy, he's uh, being written uh, a letter by Paul. Uh, the Uber Apostle is getting written this, this letter. It's called a pastoral, and it's to help Timothy to lay a plumb line of faith for this new church that's in a city called Ephesus. And uh, what Paul is trying to do is to say to Timothy, I'm leaving you there to straighten up and to, to set in place good foundations so this church can grow and this church can be strong. Um, and so as we track through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we see these foundational issues that get dealt with. Last week, we dealt with the foundational issue of what's the role of ladies in church. And we came to a scripture which basically, I mean, a couple of really difficult ones. But one where it says, I do not permit a woman to speak in church. Um, so ladies are supposed to be quiet in church. Um, and then we checked out another scripture, which kind of looks like it says it as well. And what we discovered over there is that in terms of the, the, the context of where this was written and what it was saying, it's actually more of an issue that he, Paul didn't want ladies to have authority over men. He wanted men to take the lead. And, um, and so he didn't want ladies to have authority over men. And ladies, by teaching in church, would, um, it would look like there's authority over men. But he was, he was okay with ladies practicing that gift because we see that gift being practiced by ladies elsewhere in the Scripture. But what Paul did have a problem with was ladies taking authority. And we ended out last week with having a look at churches are meant to be led by teams of elders. If those elders are men and all of our ministries under the authority of, of, a, of a strong elder team then it doesn't really matter who's using gifts because no one's having authority over anybody else because the, the church is being led by a team of male elders. All right, that's where we left last week. Um, some of the things that we looked at last week for ladies was um, dress modestly. God's word says dress modestly and appropriately. Um, you need to watch your speech, don't gossip. Um, and you need to uh, learn, in a, uh, learn from God's word in a teachable way. Um, and, and if we had a look at where we were last week, I remember I said to the ladies that it, it was specifically for ladies, but generally that can be applied to anybody, actually. Um, we all come to receive God's word with a teachable spirit because that means I come in and say, God, would you change my life? Let your word change, change my life rather than I'm coming in here to tell, to tell God's word how it should change my life. All right. So, um, so we all come in with a teachable spirit. We all shouldn't be um, gossiping, and, uh, and actually all of us should be, should be living modestly, not only dressing modestly as believers. And so today we're going on to the men, and uh, we're going to go to verse 8 of 1 Timothy, and it's just one verse, and I've got it on the screen uh, behind me. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, I'll dive straight in. Here's what Paul says, I desire, hold on, to the worship person who put the glass under the pulpit. Uh, yeah, the Lord bless you and keep you. And uh, yeah, I wonder if, can I just get a towel, please? Thanks, guys. Um, and make his face to shine on you. You want to see how wet this is? Watch this. <laughs> There's a baptismal pool under here. Maybe we should just open it up and let the water run straight into the baptism. Or anybody want to get baptized? <laughs> we can. 
can't really do this the Baptist way today, but, you know, kind of deal with what you've got. Okay, so, so Paul's writing until the towel comes. Let me read for you. Paul says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Thanks. Uh, so here we go. What he's saying is this. This is Paul's desire that in every place, so this is not only in the big, large gathering of church, but also in the smaller groups, house churches, etc., um, that men should pray. That's not saying that women shouldn't pray, but what Paul is saying is, I desire men to pray. Okay? So this is not your get out of prayer free card, ladies. This is men. God actually wants you to set the lead in prayer. So I desire that, let's start here. I desire that men should. Stop. That means that God's word is saying to us as men that we should. That we are the ones who need to initiate. We are the ones that need to set the standard. We are the ones that need to uh, raise the flag and take the charge. That's what, that we should be doing that. Men should. What should men be doing? Pray, number one. Two, and as you pray, lift holy hands. This is speaking about posture in worship. This is speaking about the attitude of our heart. This is speaking about, um, do you feel comfortable raising hands, not because of the posture, but are your hands holy? What have your hands been involved with? What is your what has your life been involved with? As I come, this is not only um, my, the, the, this is not just the posture I bring, but it's the attitude I bring. It's how's my heart before the Lord. Without anger and without quarreling. Now, the word quarreling is a very interesting use of this word that Paul uses because the word quarreling literally means disputing and dialoguing. And in the context of this verse, it can mean, if you go anger or quarreling, it can mean angry and then like quarreling with each other. But in the context of prayer, it can also mean come and bring prayer without quarreling or without disputing that God can answer the prayer. So there's, James says, you, you don't get what you ask for because you're double-minded. Um, and, and so what happens is we come and we pray and we go, well, well I don't pray because I don't think God's going to answer that prayer. Or I'm not going to pray because I don't actually pray in public. Or I'm not going to pray because someone else will pray for it. Or I'm not going to pray because I just don't do that kind of stuff. Can you see how you... You argue with yourself. And what Paul's saying here is, come and pray. Stop kind of having this argument with yourself in your head. I don't want you to be angry, so stop arguing with other people as well. So it's a very interesting word that can be used in both contexts in, in this verse. It's interesting that Paul says, men, you need to lift up holy hands without anger. And he says to women in their ministry and their worship in church, they must do it without gossiping. Because as gossip is to ladies, so anger is to men. So ladies would have left last week's sermon and they would have gone to each other and gone, hey, did, did you hear what he said? Did you know? And then so they're, they're all talking. Did you hear men, you will leave today not saying to your mate as you walk out, hey, did you hear what Matt said? You're going to walk out angry with me or you're going to walk out here submitting your knee before Jesus. There, there are just those two. Okay. Or you're going to walk out indifferent, which is the same as not submitting your knee before Jesus. And so for men, anger is the thing that rises up, for, and you struggle with that. Ladies, the thing we, you, you'll struggle with is gossip. But men are also susceptible to gossip, and ladies are also susceptible to anger. So there's, there's five things I want us to have a look at today. One is that men should lead by example. That's the men should. Two, that men lead the example or lead the charge in praying. Three, that men lead the example in public worship. Four, men lead the example in holiness. And five, men lead the example in relationship. And um, I'm 
trusting we'll be able to get through this. So I desire that in every place, the first point, that men should. There we go. Guys, it, it means this, that God has laid the burden of leadership and initiative and risk on our shoulders, not on the shoulders of our wives or the ladies that we sit next to in the building. That's what it means. So today, as, as I'm preaching, I'm aware that there's two groups of people. Um, there are those who are exploring faith still, and, and you're kind of going, what is this guy talking I mean, I've just come to church for the first time, and now the guy's saying I must raise my hands in church? No, no. There are some of you who are exploring faith still, and, um, and that's great. You, you keep going over there. Some of you, you, you made a decision to follow Christ many years ago, perhaps a couple of months ago, even days ago. And, uh, and I'm speaking specifically today to the men in that group, the men who claim to be Christians, the men who, who stand in this place and worship uh, every Sunday and go, I am, I am a Christ-following man. That's specifically for you. Generally, you'll find that there, there's, there's um, something that we're going to be talking about over here, which will be for everybody, those who are ladies who follow Christ and those who are still exploring this will be for you as well. But we specifically, guys, uh, those of you who call yourself brothers and who worship here, we are, this is us today. I'm also not preaching at you today. I'm preaching with you. Okay, so I don't come here and go, I, I've actually got all the answers over here. Do as I do. I'm going, guys, we need to do as Paul says. That, that's, what I'm, that's where I'm coming at today. And so when we start out of here and Paul's saying, I want men to lead the reason why Paul says this is later on he'll say in Ephesians, ironically to the same church, he says, he says to them that they need to love, men need to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Remember last week, ladies, I told you that you should submit to your husbands. And I said, well, bring your husband this week. I'll tell him what he must do. Guys, this is what you do. You, you love your wife as Christ loves the church. Okay, that, that, that's how you love your wife. Let me tell you what that means. I'll break it down. It means you love your wife sacrificing your life for her. Because that's how Jesus loved the church. Sacrificing your life for your wife does not mean that you should go and kill yourself now and you should die. But it means this. I am willing to sacrifice my own desires, my own dreams, my own promotion for my wife's well-being. Can you get that? Like, I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty hard, isn't it? For most guys that I speak to, the world that we live in goes, how do I get promoted to the next level? How do I climb the corporate ladder? How do I earn more money? For most of us, that's the world that we live in. But if you're going to love your wife the way Christ loves the church, you've got to be willing to lay aside all of that for, for your wife. Are, are you willing to do that? So that's the first part. I'm going, to, I'm going to love my wife, sacrifice my life for her, as Christ sacrificed his life for the church. Second one, I'm going to serve my wife sacrificially. So Jesus, the last night, just before he goes to the cross, he takes a towel, puts it around his waist, and washes his disciples' feet. He lowers himself and washes his disciples' feet. And in the same way, men, we should be lowering ourselves and serving our wives. That's what we do. God's call on us as elders is to lower ourselves and serve the body of Christ here so that the men who sit behind us can get an idea of what it means to serve their wives in the way that we serve the church. And guys, when you serve your wives in that way, your young boys grow up and realize that growing up in a chauvinistic world is wrong and that they can't wait to serve their mothers, their sisters, and one day their wives. Got it? 
Okay, and all the ladies are like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the men are like, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat after this. I'm beating him with a coffee urn after this. Okay? So we love sacrificing our lives. We love sacrificially. But we also love unconditionally. Jesus loves the church unconditionally. And that love says this. I will love you even if I'm not getting anything back in return. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It also means that those who do not believe in him will not have everlasting life. But it doesn't say Jesus loved those only who believed in him. Jesus loved all. In fact, the Bible says that while you were still his enemy, Christ loved you. Okay? That means this. It means, men, that you love our wives even if it feels like we're getting nothing back in return. Notice it doesn't say that to the ladies. It just says to you, submit your husbands. You think you got the rough end of the stick. Guys, God says to us, you love your wives as Christ loves the church. You lead it. Because if you do that, it does something to the heart of your wife. Jesus loved us sacrificially and it did something to our hearts. It made us open, willing to submit our lives before him and go, Jesus, what you say, I'll do. And there's this beautiful thing that happens when a man loves his wife in the same way that she finds it easier to submit to his leadership because she knows that he loves her unconditionally, that he serves her sacrificially, um, and that he loves her laying aside his life for the sake of her and the children, if you have children, right? That's, that's what God's talking about. Now, in the church, God says, right, men, pull out of home, and in church, it's the same thing. I'm also laying the burden of starting this thing out on you. Men, it starts with you. In the home, it starts with you. In church, it starts with you also. In church, you need to be the ones who start out and lead the worship. You should be the ones who lead the prayer time. You should be the ones who lead raising our arms. You should be the ones leading in holiness with holy hands. It doesn't say to the ladies, make sure you're living holy lives, ladies. In this case, it's saying, men, you do it. You have to do this because there's something that happens as men do that. And younger men look in. Those men who've just come to Christ look in. Our wives look in, our sons look in, our daughters look in, and they go, that's how I live. See, see what dad and the other men are doing? That's how, oh, so that's how I worship. Oh, so that's how I pray. So that's how I'm supposed to be in the church. They get it from us, and we have to lead. It means taking a risk, gents. At some point, you have to take the risk. It means that you need to take the initiative. It means that you go first. You can't take the leadership role and go next week Sunday, hey, to your wife, hey, so are we going to go to church? That's not going first. Going first is, hey, we're going to church. Going first is, hey, love, we're um, taking, you heard we take, the church is taking up the stank offering. I think we should give this amount. What do you think? That's going first. Not going first is, hey, I don't know, whatever you want to do. That, that's, not go, that's not going first. We lead, guys. We lead. We lead this thing. And the reason why we lead, and Paul unpacks this a bit later in, in chapter 2, um, he says it's because God created Adam first. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, you see where God forms Adam out of mud and breathes life into him. And then he says to Adam, go and look after creation. Go and do it. 
You go and do it. You look after it. It's your responsibility. And with that responsibility comes authority. And with that authority comes go and lead. So Adam goes out and kind of stumbling his way around. He's trying to figure out how do I look after this? How do I care for this? How do I balance this responsibility? Like I'm wearing myself out. I mean, it's all of creation and it's just me. I mean, there's not even any green piece. It's just me. That's all. Just me. And the rhinos are there and the lions, they got in again. And I'm just like, hold. And he says, and God says, well, go and find a helper. So Adam goes out to try to find a helper, and he can't find a helper. And the Bible says that God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And in that moment, God takes a rib from Adam, and God creates Eve. He forms Eve from Adam. And in that moment, God takes roles that he had given Adam to do, but Adam couldn't do it by himself. And he goes, these are the roles that Eve is going to perform. These are the roles that Adam is going to perform. The two of them are better than one of them. And so two are always better than one. The Bible says if you find a spouse, you found a good thing. If, you haven't, if you're not married yet, keep trusting the Lord on this one. It is, marriage is a good thing. And he says, Adam, this is your role, is to, to lead and love. Eve, this is your role, to be a companion and to submit to your husband. And the culture that we live in is saying, no, 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 no. The culture we live in says, men, your role is, now let's start with the start. Ladies, your role is to do whatever men do, you can do it. In fact, you can do it just as well as them, and even you can do it better than them. And so what men do is what they do best, and they go, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, she's going to do it, because men do that. We're like, you know, we're really good at that, actually. We're like, okay. I'm not taking leadership if she takes leadership. I mean, she's washing the dishes. I'm not going to wash the dishes. Is she going to pick up the kids from school? I'm not going to offer to pick up the kids. She's got it. And so, so we really get our responsibilities. Culture says, ladies, you can do everything that men can do. And so you try and you burn yourselves out. And then culture says to men, ladies need to be doing what men can be doing. And men go, look, what am I supposed to be doing? Huh? If I try to lead my wife, culture says that that's offensive towards her. If I, if I try to love my family and lead my home, culture says I'm being a chauvinist. So how do I, how do I balance this, this thing? I can tell you now that culture, God says, I'm creating the male and female. Culture says you can be male until you want to be female. And if you want to, you can be male again. If you're female, you can be male. And then you can even go back if you want to. And that's fine because it's equality all over the place. But, but you know as well as I do, and our culture knows this too, that in order to do this thing, of swapping around roles requires a serious amount of effort. It is not easy for a lady to be dad. And it is not easy for dad to be mom. You can do it for a while. Okay, Anthea goes out of town and I'm brilliant at being mom for about like, 30 minutes. Okay, I'm really good. No, I, I, don't laugh, I'm good. I'm really good at that. When I'm out of town, Anthea's brilliant at being dad. It's like about four days. She's really good at being dad for about four days. After that, my kids want dad. They want mom. And I can be mom, like I, I'm right-handed, and, and I can write with my right hand, but I can also write very crazily with, and, you know, with my left hand. It's the same thing. I'm right-handed dad, but I kind of awkwardly can do mom with my left hand too. Anthea's left-handed. She does mom brilliantly with her left hand, but she can do dad awkwardly with her right hand. Do you get what I'm saying? 
And so what God's word is doing is not saying, okay, let's push ladies down and let's relegate men to nothing. God's word is saying, God created us for a purpose. Now fulfill that purpose. That men, don't you dare be chauvinists. That you need to respect your wives and respect ladies as equal partners. And don't neglect your role. Ladies, God has created you for a purpose. And so go for it. Go and do it. Don't neglect your role. Submit to your husband and respect your husband. Don't neglect what God has called you to do. And don't allow somebody to say that you're, you're a lower class creation because you're not. Men, God has called us to lead. Go first, all right? And so what he's saying about men should, one, men must lead by example. Two, men must lead by example in praying. I desire then that in every place, men should pray without quarreling. Sometimes I think the reason why we don't pray is because we don't really believe in the effectiveness of prayer. Because if you believe that God can change everything and that all he asks you to do is ask him, you'd be asking him all the time. Get it? Either we don't believe God can do it or we believe too much that we can do it without him. I would say this, that even if you can do it without him, it's still so much more fun to do it with him. To just ask him. There are some of the reasons that the scriptures talk about when it says that the reasons why prayer is not answered. Disobedience is, is one of them. Ron, do you want to hit? Okay, thanks. There we go. Disobedience is one of them. Secret sin is another. Indifference. Neglecting mercy towards others. Despising the law. Blood guilt. Murder. Blood on our hands. Sin, just pure sin. God's ears are deafened towards a stubbornness. You're stubborn in your sin. Doubt, James says that you're double-minded. You kind of get tossed to and fro. And so you don't get because you kind of, you're not sure whether God can actually do it or not. Self-indulgence, this is so interesting. God's like, I'm not giving you that because when I do give it to you, you're going to spend it on yourself. So I'm not answering that prayer. You're not going to do it. Here are some of the reasons why God does not answer the prayers that we are praying and why we're asking. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't answer all of our prayers. Guys, you need to get this, that God answers prayers. He is a prayer-answering God. On Wednesday night, we pray together over here. There are about 60 or 100 people over here. 1,400 people worship at Sterling every month. 100 came together for prayer. If you went to your small group on Wednesday night, you need to change your small group, right? Because your leader didn't bring you to pray. So here we go. We came together to pray and this is what happened. People split up into groups of three and four um, around the building. They were sitting all over. And you know what the group was doing who was sit sitting over there? They were praying for you guys. They, they were praying for you. I mean, they didn't know who you were, but God knew because you always sit in the same seat. So there was a group over here, and they were praying for you. And another group was praying for you over there. They, they were praying like this. God, the person who sits in that chair, God, we just want to pray that on Sunday when they come, that you would stir their hearts that your spirit would move in their lives. Some of you, you're here for the first time, you're sitting in somebody else's chair, and they're like, where am I going to sit now? You know, we prayed for you, that God would bring you here, that you're not here by mistake, but God, God would bring you here and have a purpose for you, that God would speak to you and you'd hear his voice. They prayed that prayer across the building, all over the place, even at the back on the couches, they were sitting over there and praying for you. And our prayer is that God would stir your heart. Why did we do that? Because we believe that prayer is powerful. And it's this amazing thing when we come together. Every time we come together, we pray together for an hour, and then we're like, oh, no. It's already 8 o'clock. Oh, oh, oh. 
we've got to go home. There's babysitters and there's like, you know, you've got to go back to the real world. But it was like, it was so great being in the presence of God again. It was so God, so good praying and seeking God together as a church. Let me remind you of what God's word says about how effective prayer is. Psalm 91. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Or Jeremiah 33 and verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. John 16. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask and you will receive. Just ask. God is saying, will you just ask me? Men, God says to you, you. You ask first. You pray first. You seek me first. When we gather together, we don't wait for the ladies to do it. We do it first. And in the churches, generally, it's the ladies leading the charge on this one. It's not us. We're doing a bad job, guys. And and I'll say this as well. Even in our church, we're not doing a good job at this, gents. Ladies, you just have to stop listening now, right? Guys, listen. We're not doing a good job here. When we have times of prayer, often it's the ladies praying. If it's not the elders praying in the front, it's the ladies praying. You can't check out when we come into this building. We pray together. We seek God together. What Paul is saying is, I want you to lead the charge. And and you don't think that just because you're sitting near the back, you don't have to. Because God's going, in that section, I want you to lead the charge. In that section, I want you to lead the charge. Here in the front, you lead the charge. Over there, you lead the charge. We need to be praying. You need to be leading the charge when it comes to prayer. There are two ways that we do this. One is we engage in the prayer. Matthew 18 and verse 19. Jesus said, if two of you agree on anything, it'll be done. Two of you agree. Sometimes when we're praying, you don't have to be bringing the list. Sometimes you can be agreeing with other people who are praying that same prayer. In fact, I would say to you, this is where you start getting used to public prayer is when someone else is praying, you're agreeing in with that. If you've ever prayed in a prayer meeting and you've, you've, you've prayed around a specific issue, you'll know what it's like when you're praying, God, da, 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 pray for that family, they're really sick, da, 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 and then you finish, and everyone's quiet after that. And you're going like, um, okay. Sometimes in my mind, because my mind's pretty graphic when it comes to this, I see God standing there going, okay, that's awkward. Who's next? Um, anybody else? And, and then you always have the person who feels like they need to fill all the blank spaces, you know? Just keep praying, all the blank spaces. When we pray, there's also a place for us to be praying together. And so you're praying, oh God, there's this family, the person, you know, they, the, the spouse is really sick, and this person's like, yes, God, would you come in and heal them? Yes, God, we want to ask you if you'd heal that person. They've got whatever condition. This person, it's cancer. Oh, yeah, God, it's that. Would you, would you help them over there? And, and God, we just want to pray for the whole family. Yes, God, even the husband, I know that he's struggling really hard in this one over here. Yeah, God, we want to pray. So there's one person leading and other people are agreeing with the prayer. That, that's what's happening. But sometimes what we do is because we white knuckle church, we, we kind of stand there white knuckling the chair in front of us. My hands are not going up and we've not white knuckled our jaws. Well, I'm not saying anything. It's a nice song. In my mouth while the song's going, but I'm going to white knuckle the chair. 
that when somebody prays, all we're doing is we close our eyes and allow our minds to drift. And then we hear the golden word, amen, and then we, whoop, let me come back again. Actually, God's wanting us to apply our minds and when someone else is praying, agree with what that person is praying. It is such a cool thing when you pray and other people are agreeing with you. It just fills you with confidence again. Imagine Bill Gates is standing right here in front of us and he comes in and he says, hey, Sterling Baptist, just, I heard that you guys have got this ministry to, uh, you know, to babies. Um, do you, you know, what do you need? And, and, and you, know, you get up and you go like, oh, we need you know, baby formula. And he goes, okay. And then someone else shouts, yeah, we also need some nappies. Someone else, oh, we need another house for that. Oh, we need a social worker for that. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. When we talk to God, we're talking the same way. One person's talking, another person's adding, and it's a conversation. I mean, what, what world do we live in where one person speaks only all the time? I mean, we don't do that. You see, sitting around a bra, and everybody has a turn. It's like, you can only speak if you've got the tongs. And, <laughs> click, click, click. and when you're finished, you pass on the tongs. Then that person gets a chance to talk. And then that person, and then that person. And, then, and only when it comes back to you do you get another chance to talk. No, man, we're all talking, and so we need to be praying. Guys, we need to lead the charge in this one. If you're not used to praying in public, start with agreeing in public. It, and it, it just means that sometimes it's going, yes, yeah, amen. Have you got it? And the ladies go, yes. Again, same thing as eight. I go, have you got it? And the ladies are like, yep. Okay, boys, have you got it? Great, at least you guys got it, yeah. All right, got it on this side. You guys need to work on it over there. Next one is engage and pray. So I'm engaging in the prayer by agreeing. The next one is I'm engaging and praying. Don't just agree. Start praying. Start speaking. Start engaging. Number three, men must lead by example in public worship. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. In every place the men should pray, lifting holy, holy hands. In large groups and small groups, God wants us to come and pray. God wants us men to be committed to the brotherhood and to community. And when your wife says, hey, I don't think we should go to church tomorrow. If there's not a good reason, as a man, you go, no, no, we're going. That, that, do you think that means that you feel like it every time? No. It means as your wife submits to you until you become submittable, respects you until you become respectworthy, you lead your family into worship until you feel like it. That's what it means. This is not just going to be tough for our wives. It's tough for you too. It means that you too need to be saying, no, no, as a family, I'm leading my family in worship. If I neglect this, I will, my family get neglected in their worship. I'm leading my family into worship. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. When we gather, we stir each other up. That's why when we agree with one another, it stirs up faith inside of us, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It says, when you get together, I want you to raise holy hands. Okay? So how many of you guys are starting to feel a little bit awkward now? Because you know exactly where this is going. God in his word says, I want men to pray with their hands raised. This comes from a cultural context. In the Jewish culture, men, when they prayed, they prayed aloud and they prayed with their hands up and they prayed with their palms towards heaven. And so if you go to the Wailing Wall today, you will still see men at the Western Wall praying with their hands before heaven. 
you knew that someone was praying when they were standing like this and when they were speaking. In our culture, if someone's standing like this speaking, you're going, <whistles> huh? I'll never forget visiting um, um, Times Square Church um, in the middle of New York. And uh, this is a church that has set itself up for prayer. Right? I mean, that's, this church is defined by prayer. They received two commendations from the mayor of New York for the effort that they put into praying for the city. Just want you to think about that. I arrived at the church by mistake an hour early because I hadn't set my watch right yet. Okay, we, I was in, in New York and I hadn't I mixed up something. So I arrived an hour early and the service wasn't starting. But there were hordes of people in the building and they were all praying. All of them. It wasn't a formal prayer meeting. People arrived early and were praying. Some people were kneeling in the front. I watched one man for 45 minutes standing with his face right up against the wall in, in a corner of the building, praying and seeking God, speaking to God as if God was right there. I watched the worship team walking onto the stage and, and praying. I watched, and I watched prayer seamlessly move from conversations with each other to praying again. Watched the pastor praying. He was walking on the stage and, and he was praying and he saw somebody and he came off and he said, oh, how are you? Good. And then back on the stage again praying. And that person was praying and then conversing with each other. It, it was like God was talking. They were talking to God in the room as well as each other. It was part of this conversation that was happening in the church. And I was just like, God, I so wish I could just pull this up in a syringe and bring it back to Sterling and go, watch this. Watch this. God has called us to come and do that. The thing is, you can pray in your mind like we've been told so many times. But when you're praying in your mind, how do you fan into flame the faith of the person next to you? How do they know? I mean, you might be really connecting with God, but how does anybody know? How does the person who's feeling a little bit insecure in their faith, how do they even know if you're worshiping God? You're a man in the community and, and you're standing next to somebody and, and they look up to you in business and now they're with you in church and all they see you doing in church is eyes closed, mouth closed. And don't get me wrong, God can really stir your heart. For me, that's kind of, standing like that for me is a natural way to worship. But how does that person even know if you're engaged with God? Well, that's why Paul says, I want you to be expressive in your worship. This is part of our worship language. As you raise your hands before God, it is part of your worship language. And if you have a look in the scriptures, there's other ways of doing that. Kneeling, face towards heaven, lying prostrate on the ground, arms raised before God. We see various ways of worshiping God. Sometimes your singing can become stale to you. That's how we're going to sing the song again. Okay, well, don't just sing the song again. This time, put your arms up. Right, this time, raise your palms before heaven. This time, if you can, kneel right there in the pew. Maybe you want to come to the front of here and just stand in the front and worship him. But as you do that, you start to fan into flame the faith of people around you. Have you noticed how it doesn't only have to be men who do this? But if you stand at the back, the majority of people who worship like that are ladies. And guys, we haven't done a good job. We just haven't. This is not a feminine thing to raise your hands and worship God. This is a manly thing. This is a manly thing. With my chest out and my arms up, I worship the King of Kings. I submit my life to the great authority, to Jesus Christ, and I worship Him. I was having a conversation with you guys, and we were in the changing room ready to go and play rugby. All right? We're ready to go out. I'd be saying this to you. You get the ball, 
you just run. If anybody comes at you, you lift up your knees and you hit him right off the field. If somebody comes to tackle you, another guy gets the ball and, he, and you need to tackle him, you hit him so hard, you take him right off the field. If you got that, you leave everything out there. If you start bleeding, you bleed on the field. Well, here's how it works in worship. We leave it all out there. We raise our hands before God. Who cares what people think? We raise our hands before God. We sing out loud. We kneel in the presence of God. And the boys who are watching go, that's how you engage with God. And the young girls who are watching go, I want a husband like that. And our wives come with our children and they go, we worship as a family and my husband's leading the charge. Guys, that's how we do it. We lead the charge in public worship. But we also have to lead the charge in holiness. You see, I think one of the reasons why we're too scared to raise our hands is because sometimes we know that there might be somebody behind us or in front of us or next to us who was with us during the week where we perhaps blew it. And they know that if, and you know that if you do this, they're going to see you and, they're gonna, and you know, then you're going to like a bit of a hypocrite, huh? So Paul's like, raise hands in holiness. Raise holy hands. It's this, it's, what attitude do you come to worship with? What's, what's inside of you that you come to, to God with? See, that's not something that just happens in the 10 minutes before the service. That's something that happens in the six days before the service. That's Monday to Saturday. That's my heart is prepared there. My life is lived there. And my worship is an outflow of that. So I come here, my, if I can raise my hands and gents, I mean, how do you feel about raising your hands? I raise these hands that word holiness, it, it's such an interesting use of, of this word that Paul uses because it's not just holy like every other occasion. This one, it carries this meaning. They raise hands that have the same characteristics of the divine. The same characteristics. Some of you are like, man, Matt, God is not answering my prayers. I'm the oak with blood on his hands. I've sinned. I've been separated from God. I would never be able to raise my hands because my hands are not holy. I can't raise my hands. Well, I want to remind you of a man who did raise his hands and he raised them something like this with his palms open and had them nailed to a cross. And the Bible says that if you would put your trust in him and ask him to forgive you, that he would forgive you of your sin. And in the space of your sin, God would give you his righteousness or his holiness that your hands can become holy. Don't have to be ashamed. Your hands can be washed. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, the command is be holy because I'm holy. And the last one is this, guys. We need to lead by example in relationship. It says, I want you to raise up these hands without anger and quarreling. I want you to raise up holy hands without anger and without quarreling. Guys, it's so easy for us to get angry. It, it really is. And, and some guys get angry quicker, and some guys get angry slower. But it's easy for us to get angry. Like ladies, it's easy for you to gossip. Guys, we struggle with one thing. Ladies, you struggle with the other thing. That doesn't give it, you don't get the free pass because you're a guy on anger. We just get, you know. And so what God's word is saying is, watch this. You need to watch this because anger is what leads you into sin. It's like anger is the grease on the slide to sin. If you get angry, bang, you're gone. And so be careful of this, he says. And so we need to lead an example because anger is anger and quarreling is going at each other. You need to make sure that things are good, are good with each other. 
loving each other faithfully. Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Guys, it means we set the example in this. We set the example in loving each other. How do we set that example in actually loving each other? Making right, Matthew chapter 5. If you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that another brother has something against you, or if you've got something against them, I mean, it's either way, but in this case specifically, when you become aware that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, you've also got to be real here. There are some times where it doesn't matter how much you go to somebody, it's just not going to be that kind of reconciliation. And so let's say for Lawrence, Lawrence and I, we've got a good relationship, so this is just an example. I come with my worship on Sunday, but I'm aware that there's an issue. The Bible says, before you get here, go and make right. So I come to Lawrence. Lawrence, man, I'm aware that I may have hurt you or I may have offended you. And so, man, is, am, am I just reading something into this? Lawrence is like, no, no, Matt. Actually, this is what you did. I, my response then is, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? The godly response is yes. Sometimes that's not going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be, Lawrence, will you forgive me? And if it was somebody else, not Lawrence, the response would be no. And I go, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't believe that you really are sorry. You're just saying sorry. But I don't believe that you actually mean it. And, you're, and both of you are Christians. And you're going, I'm sorry. No, well, I don't care. I don't, okay, I don't know what to do. Well, you've done this three times before. Really? I didn't know about Yes, you did. Well, I'm sorry for the other two times as well. Well, I don't believe you. Okay? Here's what the Bible says. You go try and reconcile. And if you can see that that's happening, as far as possible, live at peace with everyone. So if I'm aware that this is a particular issue for him, don't go and do it again. Don't raise that thing again. Act civil towards him. Greet him. Say hello to him. Treat him in a godly way. That's the way. To live at peace with him. Even if you can't have perfect reconciliation, live at peace with one another. That's how we need to be honoring each other. Especially in this environment as a church. So what I've discovered in this one of here is that none of us are perfect. But we always expect everyone else to treat us as if we're perfect. So, guys, we need to lead the charge in this one. We need to lead the charge. So how do we do this, guys? Here we go. To lead the, the, the charge by example in relationship, James chapter 1 and verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to hear. When someone's talking to you or sharing their case or sharing that, they may, that you may have offended them, be quick to hear that. Be very quick. But be slow to speak. Be slow in quarreling, as 1 Timothy says, because as soon as you start to speak, you always believe your voice before you believe somebody else's. Did you know that? You always do. So somebody says, oh, you know what? I, you know, I saw that you cut somebody off in the traffic. And you're like, yeah, but I needed to go somewhere. I mean, you just justified it and you, you believe yourself. No one sees you do that and go, oh, they must be going somewhere. They're like, I can't believe that person drives like that. 
And so the person comes and they attack you with that. And, and you, your response is, yeah, but I had to go somewhere. No, no. Be slow to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to defend yourself, slow to speak, and so be slow to become angry. And as I said to you guys, I'm not preaching this at you. I'm preaching this with you. If anybody knows how to do this perfectly, I will submit to your, your leadership after this. You come and let me know. It is tough. But actually, God's given us that call. Guys, God's called us to lead. God has called us to lead this thing. As I said last week when we were talking to the ladies, saying, well, what can ladies do and what shouldn't ladies be doing? Actually, the big picture is, it's not so much what ladies should be doing, it's that men should be doing it. It's not so much that, hey, women teach because men aren't teaching. Actually, it's men go and teach. It's not, hey, we don't want, women shouldn't have authority over men, and so, you know, some churches, there are women in authority, but that's because there's no men in authority. Well, actually, the issue is, men, you better take up leadership, and you better step up and take authority in your homes and in church. And so we see the same thing over here. As we respond, men, the way God wants us to respond, we'll find it that ladies love responding the way God wants them to respond. But it actually starts with us. It starts with us at home, and it starts with us in church. And so let's bow our heads. I want to pray, and I want us to close out this morning just being really introspective before the Lord. Maybe today you're one of those who's exploring faith, and, and, and it's really connected with you that, that if you had to raise your hands in church, you'd probably be a hypocrite too. But God has said to you that if you come and confess your sin, He will forgive you, and so I want to invite you to confess your sin before Jesus today. I want to invite you to just say to Jesus, Jesus, would you, would you take my sin? I'm sorry for sinning against you. I would not be able to raise my hands because there is sin on my hands, not holiness, nothing that reflects the beauty of God, but everything that reflects the, the evilness and the stench of sin. Do you acknowledge Jesus as the Savior who died on the cross? And would you ask God to save you this morning? Guys, I want to ask you to be bold this morning. I want to ask you to take the stand. I want to ask you to put yourself into a place where you can be vulnerable. I know that our culture says we don't do that. A place where you can be vulnerable where next week when we gather in this place, you'll be able to sit down after our time of singing before God, having had raised your hands before Him, perhaps kneeling in His presence, allowing God to change your attitude and change how you see yourself, that it would blow our children away and our wives away at how we're responding before Him. So if that's you and you want to do that, I want to ask you to stand where you are, men. I want to pray for you. But I'm not going to give you the freedom of just, you know, kind of slipping your hand up. I want you to stand in front of everybody. If you're standing, I'm going to be watching for you next week. Guys, I want to pray for you. As I pray, would you just raise your palms to heaven? If you want to raise your hands, raise them high. 
If you want to just raise them to elbow height, that's fine too. But let's, let's raise our hands before him. Father, as men, we want to stand before you. We stand before you with our arms raised. We're not standing before our wives and our friends and uh, our brothers. We're standing before you. Our knees are bowed before you. And so, Father, I pray that you would cause a new wave of your spirit to wave through and flow through this church. God, through our lives as men, that we would be able to worship you the way you want us to worship you, that our sons and daughters and wives and sisters and mothers uh, and our friends, as they come in here, they'll be able to see men who laid all out on the field for you. God, enable us to do that. God, this week, may we live holy lives before you. As we gather next week, Sunday, may our hands lifted high be holy hands before you. Help us to learn new languages in worship. God, would you teach us new languages, new ways to express our worship before you. Arms raised high, knees bowed, faces lifted towards heaven. God, we ask you that in Jesus' name. And so, Father, wherever we go, live and play. Help us as men of faith to lead the charge in Jesus' name. And all the men who agreed said amen. 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 God bless you, everybody.